This is Smart Women, Smart Power, a podcast that features conversations with some of the world's most powerful women. We feature thought leaders at all career levels, where we explore, among other things, the many contributions that women make to the fields of international business, national security, foreign policy, and international development. Does having women in positions of power influence the outcomes of decisions in these fields? Why or why not? Join me, Dr. Kathleen McInnes, director of the Smart Women Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies for these incredible conversations. Hi, everyone. I am joined today by Maria DeMarie, the Vice President and General Manager for Lockheed Martin's National Security Space line of business. Maria has been with Lockheed Martin for over 30 years, uh, from working as an engineer to leading a variety of teams, including this major business unit today. So I'm really looking forward to learning from you today. So welcome to the podcast, Maria. Thank you so much. It's an honor and a privilege to be here with you today. 30 years, one company. Wow. How, how did you get started in this national security field? What what attracted you to this space? Hey, yeah. Um, sorry, to the audience, um, we're here at 10 in the morning and I haven't had nearly enough coffee, so the bad <laughs> jokes are just going to keep going. So yeah, what what brought you into this sector? And I guess I'll, I'll follow it up by asking, you know, how did you choose Lockheed and for and have like 30 years in, in one company is amazing. So Yes, and I only intended to be there two years when I started. So I'm, I'm here to tell you that plan also didn't go the way I actually planned part two. But um, I will tell you that I have been surrounded by STEM and the defense industry my entire life. Oh, yeah? Um, my father was an engineer. Okay. So science and math was very strongly encouraged in our household, I'd mm -hmm. say. Um, my brother and I both became engineers. My sister went into medicine. So, you know, that was something that was a constant in her house was math and science being yeah. very important and very foundational. Um, my father was also in the defense industry. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, and he retired from Lockheed after over <laughs> so 30 Apple years. doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> my dad was in the national security space, too. So. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And we, and we, uh, my brother and I now are, some of our children are involved in defense industry as well. So I would say we're third generation of going into this, to this business. So it's something that we're passionate about as a family. And when we were in fifth grade, I moved to Florida with my family. My father was at Eglin Air Force Base delivering a, a system to the Air Force. And I think that was also really foundational for me for wanting to be in the defense industry, being surrounded by military families, being friends with children of military families, and seeing the sacrifice, not just that our warfighters make to support this nation, but their entire family. You know, that's that resonates so deeply with me. So one of my formative experiences was living on RAF Lakenheath. And with the same sort of thing, my dad was a defense civilian. Um, I, I was on boarding school at Lakenheath and I was with the children of service members and just seeing the, how the families were impacted by these operational decisions. And um, because, you know, mom and dad couldn't make it because they were doing Operation Desert Fox or right. doing the Balkans, you know, the, right. And, and so it, it's not just the warfighter. It's a much yeah. broader responsibility. And that exposure is so 
It's so it's so interesting. We both have that sort of yes. same formative experience. It's very impactful, mm-hmm. and it, it makes you extremely patriotic when you realize what it takes to have the freedoms that we have in this nation. Mm-hmm. You know, they are not to be taken for granted, and there are people and entire families that make very large sacrifices for us to have those every day. So for me, as I say, you know, the STEM, the being surrounded by that in my in my younger years, in my middle school years, and then my father being very influential and seeing the work that he did, it was kind of a natural fit for me, I think, to just go into this work. Um, but what's kept me in it has been the passion that I have for the missions that we serve and, and serving those who serve. Uh, for me, it gives me just... Uh, a great amount of it's an honor to be able to do the jobs I think that we do. So, uh, so you know, yes, thirty plus years later, I'm still doing this work. It's it's uh, it's exciting work, and being in space right now, to do that work combined with the excitement of the space industry right now, which is just such a great place to be. So, could you so. elaborate on that because there's so many exciting but critical developments happening in that set of issues. How is Lockheed thinking about the future of the space mission? Yeah, so we love to talk about what we do in space as protect, connect, and explore. So if you think about it that way, right, protecting, which is an important part of what my national security team does, you know, really providing things like missile warning. Um, There's also satellites that we provide, like weather satellites. You know, when you think about severe weather and the ability to predict a tornado or a hurricane well in advance to be able to save property and people, you know, those kinds of things protect. So, so the, the, the concept of what needs to be protected, it's not just military asset. It's it's Correct. a broader it's, national security concept of yeah. that's it's more civilian and military in nature. We do all those things in Lockheed Martin space. In the connect area, we build GPS satellites, which, you know, we used to get here today to do this interview, and I'm sure most everyone uses almost every day. And Explore is really about what we're doing on the moon and Mars. And when you think about the excitement that we have of the Artemis mission and the first woman and the first person color stepping on the moon and what that will do not just for space but for stem and to encourage young you know women and minorities and everyone to want to be a part of this excitement there's so much there so from lockheed when we look at all of those things that protect connect explore it just it's it's an exciting time to be a part of space it's an important time to be a part of space because particularly our way of life you may not realize you've probably already connected with the satellite in 10 times today. Um, And you may not know all those ways, you know, the data coming from there goes through different systems, any banking transactions, uh, farming, just all those kinds of things are influenced and impacted by systems in space. So our daily way of life is very dependent on it. It not only is important for the excitement of going to the moon, but it's also important from we need to protect our ability to operate in space in ways that we need to both for our lifestyle, but also for military purposes to make sure that we're protecting it from those that would do us harm in space. That sort of leads to my next question. What signals do you do you find yourself wanting to hear from the U.S. government when it comes to thinking about adversaries in space and how industry can be a partner in responding? Yeah, so I think when we when we talk about what's happening in space from a government, a military perspective, right, we know that our pacing threat is China. China has demonstrated in 2007 that they have anti-satellite capabilities. And in the 20 years almost since then, they've continued to weaponize and militarize capabilities in space. So from our perspective, from the United States perspective, what are we going to do and what are we doing uh, to make sure that we can deter those capabilities 
so that conflict wouldn't start. That's always our goal is deterrence. We don't we don't want their calculus to ever say that now's the time to do something. Uh, we want to have capabilities in place that would stop any kind of aggression and and enable us to continue to have our abilities in space, which are part of our daily lives, like we discussed. Thank you for walking me through that, because it's such a fascinating set of issues. Uh, but to turn to the decision that you wanted to talk uh, to us today, so your, your, your journey was figuring out what was right for you in terms of your work-life balance, and in particular, your decision to transition to part-time mm-hmm. at Lockheed Martin I, after having kids, and, and, and how, in the end, it wasn't the setback you thought it might be. So, so can you walk us through what was happening? Where were you? You had and when you're having your children. Set, set the scene for us. So I'm a, a proud mom of three kids. They are 19, 21, and 23. But when I look back at the beginning of my journey, which, by the way, you know, was over was 30, 30 some years ago. So the journey was very different than the journey today. Yeah. I'm grateful for that for women. We've come a long way. We have work to do, but we certainly have come a long way. And when I was having my first child, who is now 23. Uh, I went into my boss at the time and I said, I'm resigning when, after maternity leave. I'm not coming back because I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. And I was so fortunate to have a woman boss who said to me, why would you do that? You know, I, you have a great career. Yeah. You, you want to keep doing this. Uh, she said, I'd like you to go home this weekend and come back on Monday with something that you could do part-time after maternity leave. So I went home and I said to my husband, you know, that my boss didn't accept my resignation today, <laughs> which I didn't actually know was a thing. And uh, he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to put together a part-time opportunity. And I did that and she accepted it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I can tell you, I only knew one other person in the company that was part-time. I'm sure there were others, but in the whole company, after me being there over 10 years, I only knew of one other person. So it was not something... You know, today we have hybrid and work from home and part time. These were not things that really existed in a big way at that time. And for me, you know, there was a lot of anxiety around the decision to leave. Was I was I ever going to be able to get back into the workforce? Was or was I making the right choice? And then when I went part time, there was, you know, what will that mean for my career? And I can tell you during the time that I was part time, there were times where I would see people get promoted past me or get a bigger job. And I'm very fortunate to have a very supportive husband who would remind me, you chose to have this balanced approach and you wanted to be mostly at home and also working a little bit, you know, so you're not going to get those promotions right now. And we have to be OK with that. And he was right. And um, so I had to remember you, you know, I love that saying that you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. Well, there's seasons, right? There are seasons. Absolutely. And so it was a great fortune for me to be able to stay with a company that I loved doing work that I'm passionate about on a smaller scale for a period of time and then was able to get back into the workforce fully when the children went to school. Then I came back full time. And, you know, as I look back 30 plus years later, you know, my whole career, I'm really glad that I made those choices. They were the right choice for me. Certainly not everybody will have the same choices. But for me, one of the focuses as a woman has been work-life balance. Um, I've been, uh, I'll say, maniacally focused on that because it's a really important thing to get right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And if we don't get balance right, we burn out. We can't provide, you know, we can't be our best. And 
especially in the national security space. We have to be bringing our best. We have to bring our A game every day. The, 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 the risks are too critical, right? But you take it back to that time. What was the sense about work-life balance? I mean, was it such things don't exist? Balance, what is that? I mean, you know. Yes, I think, especially when I think about the time when I was a young mother, you know, I feel like it was unwritten rules. There was no nothing that anyone said you could or couldn't do, but we didn't put a lot of pictures of our children on the desk because then it looked like you maybe weren't committed to the work. And, you know, if there was 7 a.m. meetings, right, which we would have daily stand-ups on certain programs, you know, I look at that now and think, well, that wasn't really conducive to work-life balance for, for families, whether you're a mom or a dad. You know, um, my husband was very actively involved in driving to daycare just as much as I was, but doing things like that really set a tone of expectations of, you know, this is more important than anything else. You'll be here at 7 a.m. to do this this meeting or whatever. And now we're, we've understood that that probably wasn't maybe the best way to approach things all the time and to be more flexible so that you can be more inclusive. Because we, if we're going to go to the moon and to Mars, we're going to need people that can think really differently about problems and how to solve them. And if we're going to take on our adversaries, you know, we're going to need people who think about things from all different angles. It's one of the advantages we have over our adversaries is our diverse thinking and our willingness to embrace that. Our adversaries don't think that way at all. They have one way of thinking and it's, you know, everyone will follow that way. So for us, creating an environment where everyone has a seat at the table is so important. And I really feel like uh, that was a critical learning for me. And as a leader now, is something that I bring to my work every day to make sure we're creating the most inclusive workplace that we can. And I'm pleased to be in a position now where I can really influence that happening. How are you making that happen? You, you mentioned this maniacal focus on it. What what decisions have you taken to, to, to create that more inclusive environment within your organization today? You know, COVID really accelerated some of the things that we were trying to put in place, like being able to work from home. Very difficult to do in the work that we do. Uh, during COVID, most of my team, a majority of my team, had to be on all the time. That's really hard when both parents are working parents. So I was an advocate for keeping our buildings open 24-7, keeping lights on in the parking lot, keeping door, you know, security guards so that people could come in at any time. So emphasis on flexibility. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And where you could work from home, making that possible, giving you the IT and equipment and resources that you need to be able to do that. We didn't have as much of that. This We always say, you know, while everything about COVID was difficult and, and awful, um, you know, we really accelerated, I think, about 10 years in the timeline of flexibility for us in ways that we would have probably not taken on had it not been for that environment being created as quickly for us as it was. Well, and that's so interesting because you know, reading today or yesterday about, you know, different CEOs who want people to return back. They want the pre-pandemic work spaces back. And a lot of workers are like, no, this doesn't, I, I appreciate not having to commute because I can spend that time with my, it's not that I'm doing less or I'm less productive for my work, but I've got more space on the outside to be with my family. Where are you sitting in that sort of discussion this all comes back to balance again, too. And I and I will tell you, I love when I can work from home, which is very, very infrequent. But I love being in the office and being my team. We all sit together. We're able to collaborate very easily. We're always accessible to each other. 
And having gone through COVID together, the camaraderie we have is even stronger in our team now because it was difficult for us to be together during that time. We had to put very you know, critical safety measures in place. So it wasn't like we were sitting together in conference rooms. We were still dialing into conferences from our separate offices, you know, separately together. Yeah, it was wild thinking about that. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think, too, you know, people that work from home all the time feel isolated and separated. So I really think it's about balance. And I think, you know, the ultimate is if you could have a couple of days in each location, that's probably the ultimate. For us, we're primarily in because of the classified nature of the work we do. But that's what we understand that. When I describe to you, I have to leave my cell phone in the lobby of the building. I can't take it into my office. When I say that, there's people that say, oh, what would you do if you couldn't text all day? There's other people that think, oh, it'd be so great to not have my phone. And that's the way we are. I think, you know, we're we're not on the phone all day long. We're not texting with people. Now, when I get done at 530 in the afternoon or six, <laughs> it's like a mountain. Of there's tons of texts. People forget that I can't get them all day long, even 34 years into this career. But, you know, so, so there's pluses, minuses to everything. People need to decide what works best for them. What I found for work-life balance, the most important thing is being present wherever you are. So if you are home with your children trying to work, that's probably going to be a difficult situation. And if you're at work thinking about your children, that's a difficult situation. So you need to find, I find as a, as for me personally, as a mother, the way that I've worked and found my kind of secret to be is being completely present wherever I am mm-hmm. and doing whatever it takes to enable that. So that meant for me, you know, hiring help to watch my children that I knew was someone that I could thoroughly trust. I didn't have to think or worry about my kids when they were at home with my nanny. So, and when I'm at work, I'm thinking about fully about work. And then when I'm home, I'm not taking calls or logging in, you know, I'm spending time with my family and completely focused on them. So finding ways to, to do that balance, I think goes back to your question. Um, You know, do you want to be in the office out of the offices? Bosses always want Everybody in the office, yeah. they want to see you. They want to know what you're doing. But um, but there's a benefit to both. And the balance, of the, I think, is what's most important. And I, I love that insight about presence. That, you know, that's that's that you're, you're absolutely right. That's so critical. So to conclude our conversation, do you think that your being a woman Im- impacted your decision to go part time? And if so, why? If not, why not? I think it 100 percent was impacted by being a woman. I don't you know, being a woman means you have all the options. Sometimes I think, uh, you know, my husband never thought about should I be part time like that? That didn't occur to him at the time. Times are certainly different now. And it's wonderful that they're different. So for him, it was an easy decision. He's going back to work Tuesday. right? Right. For me, it was I have all these possibilities, which I think is exciting and wonderful. But it's also hard because you make those choices and then, you know, whatever choice you make is going to impact other choices, right? So I described that moment when my boss said, hit the pause button and said, let's let's not take that resignation. That moment changed the entire trajectory of the rest of my adult life, if you think about it. Because if she had been a different person and said, thank you so much for all that you've done for Lockheed Martin and we wish you all the best, that would have been the end of it. Right. And, and I mean, and it's, it's so striking because it's, it, I mean, it, it feels to me that that kind of response was unique at the time like absolutely Absolutely. and and and, uh, you know yeah that having having a woman boss who decided to be creative with with the different options was was a unique kind of phenomenon too absolutely and and i hope 
that I have continued to be that person for others because I'll never forget that somebody gave me that opportunity and, you know, it's it's turned out wonderful for me. And I'm sure if I had not done it, I'm sure my life would have been wonderful too. Sure. But, but very different. But very, very different. And I'm so excited about where I am and I'm so happy when I look back on the ability to do both and to find a way through that, which isn't always easy. I don't want to give that uh, impression either. There there certainly is more times of challenge in that, just like everyone would have though, right? But it's it's finding the balance, finding the presence, and having the right leadership, frankly, that was able to make that all work. It was a real gift. Uh, thank you, Maria, for joining us today. This has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Subscribe to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Smart Women, or you can follow me on Twitter at KJ McInnes One. Thanks for listening and join us next time.